Hello, and welcome to another episode of Deprogrammed on Unsafe Space. My name is Carrie Smith. I'm your host, and I'm very excited about our guest today. This is someone who we first heard about actually from the knitters. When we were covering the SJW wars in the knitting community, we heard about how uh, some similar wars have been happening in the comic book world. And so we've been wanting to talk to this guy for a long time. Uh, his name came up again recently with some of the Friday Night Tights guys and with Chrissy Mayer. And we're so lucky to get to have his time here today with us. Ethan Van Skyver is a 28-year veteran of the comic book industry who was blacklisted for his perceived political views. He has since become a popular YouTuber with his channel, Comic Artist Pro Secrets, where he pushes back against cancel culture as a leading voice in Comicsgate. His self-published crowdfunded comic book, Cyberfrog, is the highest funded comic book on Indiegogo, and it's the flagship character at Van Skyver's independent comic book publishing company, All Caps Comics. And that's all in lowercase. I'm kidding. It's all in all caps. <laughs> Welcome, Ethan. It's great to be here. Hello. What Hello. A what a privilege. All right, pull back, pull back. You know, let's do little little rectangles. You're too close. What's that mean? Oh, we there are. You go. Yeah, Good. like that. Thanks, Beverly. <laughs> like more widescreen, you know, you can yeah, see yeah. more things. Yeah, I like it. Yeah. How are you? I'm good. I'm so happy we get to speak with you. I've been hearing your name, like I said, in the intro from in quite a lot of different places for the past couple of years. And so I feel like this is a it was a real blessing to finally get to the to speak to the comic book guy. Well, just hold on. Don't decide it's a blessing yet. Let's see how <laughs> it goes. I mean, it may be the worst interview of your life and you'll be full of regrets. I hope not. I hope it's good. I'm, I've been looking forward to talking to you, too. I love the name of your show. A lot of people have been recommending it because they're saying, you know, she's a liberal, um, but she's reasonable. And I'm like, oh, my goodness. Uh, I thought they were like extinct. You know, I was pretty sure. <laughs> Uh, that that left wingers who were willing to have a, a nice conversation without initially shutting you out and shunning you from proper polite society. Wow, I, th I thought they'd stopped existing a long time ago. So we did a lot of us. We got eaten. We got eaten up by this sort of uh, cannibalistic part of the left that is not liberal in the slightest. I'm sure you're very familiar with it, and we can get into that. But but yeah, I do still call myself liberal because even though if, if for anyone who doesn't know my story who's new to our show deprogrammed is a show where we kind of deep dive into my old belief system which i most often call social justice and i was in it for 20 years i was in it when i worked in the entertainment industry i worked with comedians and i tended to work with comedians who had these same views and i thought they were liberal I thought this was just an evolving kind of progression. It was progressive. It was liberalism. And it's sort of like a, a frog in the boiling water. It took, it took the events of 2016 for me to start to realize, wait a minute, violence against mm. people who disagree with us is not a liberal position. <laughs> you know, no. censorship is not a liberal position. And so, yeah, I am. I, I guess lately you hear uh, people like me, we call ourselves classical liberals. Well, it's a sliding a scale. I consider myself to be a classical liberal, too. You know, I'm a John F. Kennedy Republican, I would say, uh, which at this point makes me alt-right. Uh, and that's right. just because the scale is sliding so far. You know, I'm for gay rights. You know, I'm for civil rights. I'm for all of these things. Uh, I, you know, um, I don't know what happened. I don't know at what point I became far right wing. Uh, and I think it was just, uh, you know, voting for the president in 2016 
and being happy about it and thinking the rest of the world was still basically the same way that it was 10 years prior. And everybody right. kind of gets a shot at their guy in the White House. Didn't turn out to be that way. Uh, I was uh, amazed at the sudden swiftness of uh, evil. I mean, just over the top, insane reaction uh, to uh, having voted for President Trump. Um, now, were and, you always was he the was that the first Republican you had voted for, or mm -mm. were you? So you'd no. been Republican before. Yeah, I voted for Bush, Bush, Romney. I'd skip the uh, first Obama election. I, I might have voted for Barack Obama in the first one just because I thought that was a really cool novelty. Uh, but I ended up not voting. Mm -hmm. uh, and uh, yeah, then and Trump, naturally, uh, because he was our choice. And I started to I liked Trumpism. I wasn't sure about Trump himself, even though I found him to be hilarious. Uh, I wasn't necessarily sure that he was going to be, uh, you know, the best statesman. <laughs> and I don't think right. he was the best statesman, uh, but I really liked his ideas. So I was happy to vote for uh, vote for him for president. Um, and I would I did it again and I voted for him a second time as well. So, um, well, I actually I, I was one of those people who cried the night he was elected. I really believed a demagogue had been put in office and and then I voted for him in 2020. And so did my progressive husband and several of our friends who have never voted Republican in their life. The first time I voted Republican was 2018. Wow. Um, and the, and that, that was, a uh, that was in large part because I'd started waking up to some of this stuff. And I realized I was realizing, wait, the left is no longer liberal. Like most of the, 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 maybe most of the people are, but the driving forces, the big, the, the people with the power, the people with the microphone, it, whether it's in entertainment or, or in the media or in the party itself, are no longer liberal. And so they're pushing the whole left to this place that's very illiberal. And so uh, I'm, I had moved to Texas at that time, and, and Ted Cruz was the first Republican I ever voted for. I said, well, he's more liberal than Beto. Beto... <laughs> Beto's one of these social justice people like I used to be. I can't do that. So um, anyway, so I know a lot of people who voted for him this this time around. And if you want introductions to other liberals and even progressives who voted Trump, you can always let me know. I One of my friends, he called my husband. He's like, I feel really dirty. <laughs> like, I feel like I did something wrong. <laughs> we felt but great. Right. It was really nice. When we came out of the voting booth, uh, you know, my wife voted for Trump, too first Republican she voted for in 2016. Wow, okay. And she said, I feel great. I feel great. Wow. I feel like I've, you know, uh, made a statement here and he's not going to win. You know, we, we didn't think he was going to win uh, even on election day, but it, it felt good to actually register my voice uh, against what we feel, uh, you know, uh, was going wrong in the country. Uh, so, um, yeah, it was uh, I actually felt great about it. I, I would vote for a liberal. I think I would uh, if uh you know, again, if he were somebody who was anti-communist and, you know, had, uh, you know, believed in, uh, you know, uh, military, building up the military, protecting the borders of the country and and just, you know, felt like, uh, you know, he, civil rights were an issue. All of those yeah. things I would I would happily vote for, you know, a classical liberal. Um, yeah, but I, I think th that's what the Republican Party is right now. Um, exactly. And that's why I voted for him. I thought I took a look at my options and Trump was the more liberal candidate. I don't care what party he's in. He's mm -hmm. the more liberal option of the two. And if you care about free speech, he's anti-interventionist. You know, that's what we progressives were used to always be about. And then 
suddenly everything sort of ups, became upside down. So when you voted for him, you said there was something you said early on. You said you didn't realize you thought you were still living in the world of 10 years ago. Yes, I Can really you tell did. me what that I, means. Well, I mean, I work in the comic book industry. So everybody in the comic book industry, I think by default, we're, we're all very immature. I, I'm 46 years old and I'm paid to think about Spider-Man and Batman too hard. You know, it's like, um, that is, uh, it's fun. It's an awful lot of fun, but of course, I mean, everybody uh, is uh, childish and susceptible to groupthink uh, and uh, all of these things. Um, but um, I remember when Barack Obama, well, I remember when Bush was in office and everybody was kind of grumbling about it, but it was just the way it was. And then when Barack Obama won, it was a big celebration. And frankly, I was like, good for you. Congrats. Enjoy it. You had, you, you know, you suffered through eight years of Bush. I know you didn't like it. Uh, I'll suffer through eight years of this guy and then it's going to be my turn again. Right. Um, but no, it wasn't like that. I was hearing all of these people saying things like in the middle of the second term of the uh, second uh, of Obama's terms, they were saying things like no Republican will ever be elected again because demographics are destiny. And, you know, there, there's just no possible way. So uh, get used to just, you know, uh, permanent Democrat rule. And so I was ready. I, I believe that. Um, and so did they. They clearly did. So when he did win, something snapped. I mean, something really, really snapped. And I remember seeing some of my peers who were writers and things like that and artists saying things like, I don't even recognize this country right now. I don't yeah. I can't even imagine. And then I heard other people saying, did you see Ethan Van Skyver? He's celebrating right now. He's celebrating. You see him wearing that MAGA hat. He's celebrating fascism. Wow. I always suspected he was a Nazi. I always suspected he was, uh, you know, racist. I always suspected he was all of these things. And now here's confirmation. Let's get him, essentially. And they spent a year and a half uh, organizing to get me, uh, get in, like, undo everything I'd built in mainstream comics. Um, so uh, it was insane. We didn't know what to we really didn't. Me and my wife, we really weren't expecting that. <laughs> we were, you we were not expecting like when Bush won. Of course. Yeah. It's just like and I, I think I even said to somebody, uh, somebody had sent me a message, one of these writers I was working with. And I said, this is the way it works. You know, very naive. Uh, I said, this is the way, you know, Americanism works. You know, it's step by step, right foot, left foot. That's forward. You know, it's like now it's the right foot has taken a step and, uh, you know, you'll have your chance again. Did not respond to my little message to them or anything like that because they were already seething and working really, really hard to define a narrative uh, about me, which is uh, which is which is pretty well taken hold, uh, you know, um, that uh, I am alt right, uh, mm -hmm. that I uh, am yep. racist and all of these things. And they're wrong. They're wrong. I'm a little sexist, but uh, <laughs> towards men or women, uh, towards women, towards okay. no, a certain kind of. <laughs> no, I am not even sexist. Let me pull that back. <clears throat> I don't like SJWs. I don't like them. I've learned to really despise SJWs uh, and a certain kind of uh, radical feminist that lurks within their ranks, uh, which is mostly what you encounter in comics. You encounter those people. Uh, mm -hmm. And so it's easy to kind of get confused and go, yeah, I don't think women should be working in comics because of the ones that I'm encountering every single day, uh, which frankly are horrible, terrible people. Mm -hmm. uh, but it isn't. It, it's not. It's they are SJWs. They, it's a belief yeah. system. They claim uh, to speak for women and no one elected them to do so, but they are very bad representations and 
I recall when Jordan Peterson came to speak in Austin, someone, they were going after the theater that was hosting him. It's a couple years ago. And, and she, she said, I, as a woman, <laughs> as a woman in Austin, you know, and I want to tell you that this is offensive to all women and that this is, he's a sexist, like, excuse me. Uh, hello, fellow woman. Yeah. <laughs> you know, you don't represent us, but they do that with all of these different identity groups, whether it's trans people or black people, gay people, women, it's, it's this ideology and the people that, that this ideology is possessed, they really see themselves as it's important for, for you to see them as representatives of all these different the groups. spokespeople of their categories. Yes. They've categorized you, you know, by the color of your skin or your gender or your sexual preference. Yeah. Uh, and uh, they're here to speak for you uh, because they um, and they'll even say that when they lose elections, they'll say, how stupid are women to have voted for Donald Trump? Don't they understand uh, their own best interests as though they speak for or understand or define uh, the best interests of 50 percent of the country. Uh, yeah. It is uh, it's indeed very, very, very strange. So. Um, so, well, where were you working when when uh, Trump was elected? I was at DC Comics, you know, you Okay. Yeah, I'd, I'd uh, been through a divorce um, and I remarried. I was kind of like, I think uh, uh, at DC, I kind of developed a bad attitude because one of the ideas I came up with ended up making millions and millions of dollars for them and I didn't get to work on it. And so I was I was kind of everybody else got to work on my idea except for me. Everybody had a great time uh, except for me. I was working on some flash stuff instead of this Green Lantern concept I'd come up with. And it really I mean, it was great for D.C. It was fantastic. Um, but uh, I'd, I'd gotten kind of grouchy and just sort of I was taking cover work and commissions and I was traveling all over the world and I wasn't really producing too many comic books. But I met my wife. I met my new wife, uh, who was my high school sweetheart. And we just, uh, you know, started dating and, and got married. And she encouraged me to really just sort of put the ego on the back burner and just become a valuable employee to DC. How can I help you? What can I do? What little odds and ends projects? I'm not a big star. I'm just somebody who's here to help. And I'd really built my way back to uh, a nice place where I was working monthly on Green Lantern. Um, they put me back on Green Lantern, which is really where I belong. Uh, and uh, I, we just had a baby. Uh, so, you know, she was uh, she was one year old uh, when uh, when this catastrophe hit us. And um, yeah, I was uh, I was I think. Um, yeah, I, I, I think I was hoping uh, that uh, reason would prevail uh, when this all happened. Uh, I just remember people turning on me so swiftly, people who I really liked, who I trusted, who I'd done favors for, who I'd worked with. Now, I found out they were meeting in secret, like whisper networks, as we call them now, yeah. planning these things out, establishing narratives. Uh, SJWs are so cunning and so calculating that they actually have people within the media that they turn to and they give assignments out. Yes. To different groups. They kind of go, OK, your job is to do this, to say this, to get this established. You're going to write these articles over here for like, uh, you know, uh, what are some of those awful news websites? The Daily Beast. The Daily Buzzfeed. Beast. Yeah. yeah, BuzzFeed. I got a couple of those uh, written about me. 
Uh, and, you know, uh, you're going to pick a fight like these are the people who are going to pick fights with him on, on you know, social media. They all it's very clear that they, they plan out how to do this. And when it when it's happening to you, it really feels like you're a swarm of piranhas and you really don't know where to turn. You don't know what to do. Your initial response is to apologize because yes. you're a human being. Yes. Uh, and, you know, they demand that you apologize uh, for things. And, you know, most people will apologize because they want it to stop and they think they're dealing with normal human beings who will accept your apology, understand and give, you know, move on. And the apology is an admission of guilt. Yes. So you've got the apology is a promise of 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 what's to come that they now own you. So you admit it. Yeah. (laughs) So you admit everything. Well, apology not accepted. You're going to have to apologize to each and every person who you hurt by voting for President Trump. Think of all of your transgendered peers who are going to suffer under this president because of you. Think about all the gays. Don't you care about the gays, Ethan? Don't you care? Didn't you even give one thought to your peers who were queer before you went into that uh, voting booth and pulled that lever for uh, the this fascist president? Uh, did they demand? Are. Did they demand you apologize? And yes. And and was that sort of? And did you make an? Did you make an apology? Yes, I did. I I did everything wrong. I did absolutely everything wrong. You know, I was uh, completely naive. Uh, and uh, I one of the things I said was, you know, but I'm not a people are calling me a Nazi. I'm not a Nazi. I'm not a white supremacist. I'm none of these things. So one of the leading trade like Internet trade publications decided to do a whole article saying, no, Ethan Van Skyver is not a Nazi. So <laughs> in other words, it's the it's the Streisand effect. You yes. know, it's like they they went ahead and they put that into the bloodstream of everyone. Ethan's denying that he's a Nazi and this paper's agreeing. Well, he's not technically a Nazi. He just, you know, might have used Nazi imagery in a couple of his uh, Green Lantern stories. Sure. But that doesn't make him a Nazi. Um, you know, this and that and this and that. Uh, and uh, they did a great number on me. They just utterly yeah. kicked my ass. And, you know, I. uh I basically the first person who came to me, interestingly enough, to talk to me about this in a kind of uh, Lex Luthor. If I were Superman, this would be Lex Luthor, Vox Day, uh, who found me. I don't know if you know. Do you know who Vox Day Day is? Yeah, he found me and he was just like, uh, I want you to read these books that I wrote. And I was like, "Okay." And I read his books. SJWs always lie and SJWs always double down. And they are scripture you know they i think he quoted one of my essays in that second one did he Uh, yeah when i was leaving that's how i first heard of him because people were like oh this guy used your thing about leaving the cult in there um i think it was they always always double down that one yeah Um, great books for understanding what's about to happen to you and i watched this all go down uh with uh, with um uh gina carano and mm-hmm. I was able to recommend those books to her. I was like, Gina, this is this is the way it's all going to go. Everything you're going to lose everything. You're, you're they're going to fire you. They're going to win. They always do. I mean, yeah. when this happens, all you can do is, as Vox Day says in that book, is make the rubble bounce. You know, you you will fight back. You will push back as hard as you can. Never apologize uh, and do all the damage that you can do in response. Yeah. So I didn't get to do that the first time, but I feel like I've been doing it ever since. Ever uh, since, yeah. Trying to make because up for it. <laughs> they do not have 
a lot of there are a lot of people in the ideology who have good intentions. I know that to be true because I was in it for so long. But they're they're useful tools. They behave as useful idiots, and a lot of the time they're they're sort of. Uh, Jordan Peterson did a study with his. Have you heard of the study with his grad student uh, Catherine Brophy, where they mm-hmm. tried to they did a study on the origins of this ideology and how it like takes over people and and how does it manifest? And so they basically determined there's two different types of social justice warriors. Um, and they called them the PC authoritarians and the PC liberals. And this was really interesting to me when I read it, because I was still, when I was leaving it, I was soaking up all kinds of information also like you trying to understand it, but, but from a different place, from a person who had been animated by it and a part Mm -hmm. of it for a long time. And the PC authoritarians they have a lot of in common with the authoritarians we think of on the right. They have a low disgust sensibility or high. So, so they're disgusted easily, which makes sense when you think about things like they're easily provoked to racism or sexism. They, they see people groups as the other, like this is our group, the more tribalistic, that's that group. It's gross. Right, know, right, right. Yeah. Like that. Yeah. Um, they're also not as uh, the other group he called PC egalitarians or PC liberals. Mm-hmm. And those are the people that I often I think the ones with good intent are often in that group. And yeah. they think of themselves as liberals. They have a higher verbal IQ. They're able to articulate, try and they help do the mental gymnastics for all the authoritarians in the movement. They help try and make it make sense. They coin all these ridiculous phrases like, well, this makes sense because this is white fragility. Let me tell you what about white fragility. Like they come up with all the phrases and the, you know, they try and, and help you jump through all those hoops to be like, okay, I guess it does make sense to judge and treat people differently on the basis of race, (laughs) which is, That's where we are now, anti-racism and all of this very, very strange stuff that is just, this is just racism. This is just flat out, uh, you know, treating people differently based on the color of their skin, categorizing people, deciding what needs they all have based on their identities. And I I can't understand how this is holding up in the same sphere that, uh, you know, with these people that I knew 10 years ago, I, I just feel like 10 years ago, they were completely different. 20 years yeah. ago, they were completely, they would have been disgusted by this. But it's uh, like a cult because it, those people that are in the side, like the ones with good intent, they get pulled into it. I think socially, it's all that social stuff, that conformity stuff. Yeah. You were in Los Angeles, right? No, I'm in New Jersey. Oh, you're in New Jersey. Okay. Well, I don't know New Jersey as well, but I was in LA and it was the predominant culture in the entertainment industry. And so it's sort of, you don't realize you're in a cult because you're starting to accept each tenant slowly, one at a time. You don't accept it all at once. And then also everyone around you lives and breathes it. And it's comfortable. It's it's comfortable. Yeah. Yeah. And if, if you step out of line, like you did, there are probably people at DC who saw what was happening to you who may have had questions or disagreed, but that you, you were made an example of. That's right. Yeah, that's exactly right. You know, they, they do this from time to time and don't think they, you know, Gina Carano was exactly the same. She yeah. was made an example of, and they, they're going to be particularly vicious to people who um, they're able to put into the spotlight that they're able to kind of, uh, you know, do a, a public execution, you know, behave, there- fly right, you know. Were there people that came to you and said, secretly, I support you, but publicly, I can't? 
Yes. Yeah. The, uh, you know, Dan DiDio uh, said, I, I see what's happening here, but he's like, you know, there's, they've timed this in, in such a way that it's like, we have no choice, but to cut you loose. We cannot renew your contract because we're trying to make this deal with AT&T and we're bringing in like Brian Bendis and we're trying to have positive vibes and positive, you know, all this <laughs> PR. And uh, here they are saying that the Green Lantern artist is a white supremacist and they're noisy about it and they're getting a foothold, uh, you know, with the Daily Beast and all these, uh, you know, Daily Beast. I'm a beast every minute. <laughs> Daily. Uh, beast no. by the minute. <laughs> but uh, no, you know, so we have to, we have to cut you loose because for our own survival, little did they know. I mean, it was so sad. Like looking back, it's just like, they're trying to make themselves look pretty for AT&T, who eventually fired them all, you know, gave that guy, anyway. the guy I was talking to, the axe. Two-thirds of editorial was was shown the door. They cut their line by two-thirds and then sold them to the Discovery Channel. I mean, it's just, it was too sad. It's too sad to even look back on and go, none of this really makes sense. It's not meant to make sense. What happened to me didn't make any sense. But I, I don't know. I just feel like it it needed to happen anyway. You know, I've kind of come around to a positive way of looking at it. Um, yeah. I was kicked off the Titanic. Yes. Uh, you know, I was, I was kicked really hard off the Titanic and I, I don't know, there was a lifeboat out there and, and I just happened to land in it because, you know, I was finding all of these, I was finding this movement called Comicsgate that, that was going on where people were noticing the effects of social justice on comics and I mean, comic books are, it's a hobby that people have enjoyed. People who have been reading comics have been reading them for decades. They're all roughly my age at this point. They're mostly male. Uh, and uh, they, they invest $50 a week buying comic books. They have big collections of comic books. Uh, and because they're following the characters and the stories, somewhere along the way, and this is why I feel like uh, calling me a sexist is okay. Somewhere along the way, uh, a woman came in and said, and one particular woman was very charismatic, who said, I like comics an awful lot, uh, but the reason why there aren't more women reading them is because they're sexist. These comics are sexist uh, and probably a little bit racist, too, maybe a little homophobic. Maybe you should let people like me fix them for you. So that they will be more inviting to women, more inviting to homosexuals, more inviting to people who feel gatekept, people of color, as though people of color were not reading comics. It's, it's just mostly just men uh, who are reading comics, frankly. Um, so the guys in comics are were so incredibly kind of weak and, and gullible that we all said, really, we didn't mean to be sexist. You know, well, yeah, come on in. Help us. Help Help us be better. We want to be better. Uh, and of course, this was opening the door to an awful lot of radicalism. Now, they just opened the door to radicals who came in and just destroyed the comic book industry. They, they stopped worrying about telling stories. They, stopped, they only worry about identity politics, the identities yeah. of the characters. The stories are all about, hey, Robin's uh, bisexual now. That's the story. You know, Tim Drake Robin just came out as bisexual. The end. The end. That's the story, everyone. So I hope you enjoyed that. Uh, and uh, and just uh, mostly that's what's going on right now. While uh, these people hire each other, they worm their way in. They fire people like me. They hire people like them. 
and put them into positions of creativity and power. And if you don't like it, that's what H- uh, HR is for. Uh, they will utilize HR as a weapon against editorial uh, in order to make complaints that they have uh, allegedly been discriminated against or sexually harassed. Uh, they're kicking out they got rid of Warren Ellis, uh, who was considered to be this wizard, this British wizard of comic book writing. This guy was like a rock star. And it turns out Warren Ellis had a whole flock of female fans that he felt free to, uh, you know, um, have sex with at conventions and things like that. Uh, they all got together. He would basically dump them after he was done with them. They all got together and destroyed his whole life. They made a whole wow. website about you know, we are all speaking with one voice now. We are the victims of Warren Ellis. And I'm like, I think you guys were groupies. I feel like you guys yeah. were probably groupies and you're all of age. You're adults. Sounds like this was all consensual and you chose to be used by a guy who you really admired. And I'm not saying that's a great thing, but is that something? Are we going to cancel Mick Jagger next? Are we going to cancel actual yeah. rock stars who go through their groupies that way? Um, you know what? I haven't heard of him, but you're making me think of something. We we've had this conversation a couple times. I'm looking at him right now. We've had this conversation a couple times on unsafe space where there's something to be. You can no longer talk about women having aging having agency, which is kind of interesting because what's gotten us to this place where we pretend that adult women don't know how to say no or choose not to make a deal with the devil. But we know we know how to do that. Feminism has gotten us here. Feminism, ironically enough, has gotten us to the place where it's like, oh, women don't have any power over their own choices or own well, lives. certainly in this and, business with these people, you would you would think that that's exactly who you would encounter. Feminists who yes. were empowered, who were deciding uh, that, you know, they were saying yes to having sex with a man out of wedlock. You know, that's it's their body. It's their choice. All of these yeah. things. Evidently not. Suddenly w- when they regret it. They become infants. That's the thing when they regret it. So, for example, here's here's a great example that I always think of is during the Harvey Weinstein stories that were all coming out. And I think he's a monster and I think he uses his well, power to, to take advantage of people. Yes. However, yeah. however, you, there was there was one story that really stuck with me. It was uh, the actress from 12 Years a Slave, Lupita. I forget her last name. She's a black woman. Her story was very similar to the others, except the ending was different. It started, the story started off the same. He came over to her house or they were watching a movie together or something. And he came on to her and he tried to force this encounter. And she said, no. And he said, well, you'll never work in this town again. And she mm. said, okay. And left. <laughs> <laughs> That's a very different ending. And That's the thing great. is, it doesn't make what he did right. Not at all. Mm-hmm. But but to pretend that you don't have a choice in a situation, it's like a lot of times I think people say this person has this. I have this to gain. And you make that deal with the devil. And then later you regret it and you want to tell everyone that person's a devil, which they well, may be. But you made the deal. You made a deal with yeah. them. You well, I mean, in this case, in the Harvey Weinstein case, he had tremendous power over these women who were working in the business in the Warren Ellis case, these are fans. These were readers of his comics. He had zero power over them. You know, it's not like uh, we had a guy named Eddie Berganza who was an editor on the Superman books at DC who would get drunk at parties and put his hands on, you know, other underlings 
and uh, stuff like that. And that's a that's a whole different situation. I believe he was fired justly and, uh, you know, with with good cause, uh, because the question's always going to be, if I say no to this guy, what's going to happen to my career? Uh, that's a completely different thing and should not be conflated with. I'm a big fan of so and so, and I, I think I'm going to get drunk and sleep with them, mm-hmm. you know, and then that's my choice. Uh, and, you know, it, it's so easy to speak in this. It's so easy to use those words to describe and confuse those two events uh, to hurt someone um, yeah. who is, frankly, a player. And, I, you know, again, I'm not saying it's a great idea to get out there and exploit your fans that way. But I don't think it's a reason for him to lose his his but job. And I mean, have, he's utterly destroyed now. People have agency. Women have agency. We're no different than men in that regard yeah um okay well sorry for that side note I've, i have a lot of thoughts about that you just triggered some <laughs> no, of no, it's so i want to read about him later okay so to catch uh, to catch us back up to where we were mm-hmm. you started to learn about Comicsgate, and you were giving kind of the audience a an overview of Comicsgate, which people may be familiar with gamersgate and our audience in particular ethan they know knitting gate <laughs> That is incredible that this is happening in the knitting community. That is amazing. It's everywhere. It is everywhere. And it was particularly vile in the knitting world. Um, The knitting community is uh, very big on Instagram and uh, to some degree on YouTube, but mostly on Instagram. And they, much like you saw unfold in these other communities, it's the, everyone gets sort of converted. There would Mm -hmm. be pylons for these small perceived infractions and then people who, when it first started, I think before people in the knitting world realized what was happening, much like when it first comes to a place like comics, wherever, people would maybe stand up for some of these creators, these uh, knitting designers or yarn yarn makers, and they would say, I, this is my friend, they didn't do anything wrong. Two days of the pylons later, they would be saying, I denounce my friend. They stand for white supremacy that I'm smiling just because it's probably so it's familiar. It's insane, to but it, it is common. Yeah. This is this is the way it goes. Yeah. I'm going to say something and you tell me yeah. how this hits you. I think this is attempted murder. I think every time this happens, I think it's attempted murder. Uh, I think that what these people are able to do is drive other human beings to the depths of despair. Yeah. Uh, to take away their future, to take away their friends, to take away what they thought was their community, uh, to take away any aspects of, uh, you know, hope in their lives and ultimately push them towards suicide. And I'm surprised it hasn't happened more. It has happened. Uh, yeah. People have killed themselves in this situation. And I think this is a deliberate attempt. I think I am personally frustrating to a lot of comic book people because I'm still here. Yeah. You know, I mean, they worked really hard uh, on um, d- utterly destroying my life. But, you know, I'm, I'm I don't know, I, I figured it out. <laughs> I found a way yeah. to survive this and to do better, you know, uh, through it. Um, Did you but have those dark thoughts. And by the way, you're making me think of in the knitting world. One of the designers they went after was sock petition. It's a gay man who was on the left, but because he was he was trying to tell people let's calm down looking at all the attacks that were going on yeah they accused him of tone policing they made him the new target and his husband had to check him into the hospital and suicide watch and and it's exactly what you're talking about they wanted to destroy him they banned him from knitting festivals they tried to cut off his livelihood you know Mm -hmm. 
and sent him there. Did you have any of those moments of just in the darkness? My beard used to be brown <laughs> three years ago. Okay. Wow. You know, what's funny is that, uh, uh, you know, James Gunn too. James Gunn went through cancel culture and like his hair is white as a sheet now too. I've never seen anything like it. Uh, I was like, whoa, it happened to you too, didn't it? Um, but uh, no, I don't think so. Uh, I think what I was, because I had this new little baby uh, who is special needs uh, and I don't have room to be that kind of selfish. I just don't have, um, I don't have that. I, I'm not allowed. <laughs> I'm not, I have too many responsibilities. I'm not allowed to be that selfish and think about, you know, ending my own life when so many people depend on me. So right. it was all about finding God again. Um, humbling myself to, uh, cause I was an atheist, you know, I was, I was, I was an atheist at that point. I didn't believe in God. And I just felt so profoundly moved to find God again and to pray with my wife, um, that, um, that kind of gave me the strength to believe that I was going to be okay. And I'd already established it. You know, one of the things that I did early on when this started to happen to me was I started a YouTube channel and my YouTube channel was mostly there so that I could counter the narrative. It's easy when, when somebody is not speaking and somebody is not out there, look, this is my face, I'm a normal person. I'm, here I am, these are my thoughts, here I am drawing, here I am talking about comics. If somebody is not doing that and presenting themselves to the world, uh, you know, uh, it's very easy for the world to make up their mind uh, without any further you know, opposing evidence uh, that a person is exactly what the SJW cancel culture mob is yeah. saying they are. Uh, so I really felt like I needed to start a YouTube channel and make my humanity known. I mean, my humanity, it wasn't even about like a counter offensive. It was just, I'm a person, I'm an actual person. I'm not, uh, this monster that they're saying I am, you know, it's like, uh, you, you need to be able to look into my eyes and see who I am before you decide that I deserve to die. Uh, which is what many of these people are saying. Uh, so, you know, also on top of that, you know, through Comicsgate and all of the people who are pushing back bravely, some of them wearing masks, some of them with like alter egos and things like that. It's a scary thing. Nobody wanted to go through what I did. I was a public figure. Um, but uh, I, I decided that what we would do was just make a counter industry uh, where we could prevent this from happening to anyone else. Uh, and I, uh, they, they started calling us Comicsgate. They're Comicsgate. They're like Gamergate. They're a bunch of bigots. And I, I think February of 2018, I said, that's exactly what we are. We're Comicsgate. That's what we're going to call ourselves. <laughs> uh, because if you're going to, if you're being called something, yes. uh, you know, you have two choices. You could say, that's not who we are. We're not Comicsgate. Or you could say, you're goddamn right. We're Comicsgate. And <laughs> we're going to push back now. We're going to build something to combat this. And uh, with my wife's infinite patience, help, compassion, I mean, my wife uh, has stood up for me so many different times uh, and in so many different ways. Uh, I, I'm definitely blessed to have her. What a, an amazingly fortunate situation that I find myself in to have her for a consigliere, as it were. Yeah. Um, a wartime consigliere. Uh, we we set up this whole thing where I was on YouTube and I'd bring in other blacklisted comic book professionals and we would crowdfund our comics. And uh, I was interviewed in a very mocking way by Newsarama, which is one of the comic book industry's main news outlets. You know, you're no longer working for D.C., are you? What are you going to do now? And I said, 
I'm going to get rich writing and drawing cyber frog. <laughs> and the laughter uh, that these people, I mean, he said, good luck, Ethan. Good luck. See you later. Uh, um, the laughter was unbelievable. I mean, it was just, I don't know what prompted me to say something that crazy. Nobody's getting rich in comics. People are taking second jobs in order to pay their bills. Um, but uh, I, I had accumulated an audience on YouTube and I said to them, we're going to do this thing and I need your help. You know, it's like, um, I, I don't know how this is going to work. I need $8,000 to make a comic. I know that's a lot of money, but uh, I'm going to just fold my arms over my chest. I'm going to fall backwards and just hope you guys catch me. And if you do, that's great. And if you don't, I'm going to find something else to do. We raised $538,000 for the first issue of Cyberpunk. And it went on and on and on wow. and on. And eventually the first issue of Cyberfrog has raised to date $1.1 million. Um, wow. This is what I wanted to talk to you about, Ethan. Now it's the all fun of it, stuff. All of it leading to this. <laughs> yes. Okay. Because we've seen, um, so to take it back to the knitting world for a second, we've talked to a couple of small business owners there who did not bend the knee and did not apologize. And, took one of them created yarn names like used it like you did where you take it and you say okay we are comics gate maria right. tuscan tuscan knits she was like okay i'm doing a problematic yarn line uh screw it you know and it's problematic it's not, yarn. yeah That's great and, and so the colors are all things like you know yeah. there's a color called woke which is a bright mm -hmm. fuchsia um <laughs> you know so just kind of making fun of some of their terms which i thought was funny but so anyway we've seen some of these small business owners in the yarn world push back and and once they get past that hurdle to find success to continue to be successful doing their own thing even though they get banned from festivals they lose associations they go through everything you go through when you're the target of a mob like this um you've done it in the comic book world and i think that's that's really different from knitting because it it's a uh, it's, it's part of the entertainment. And a lot of the conversations we've been having right now are like, how do we get, how do we change the culture? How do we change entertainment and, and create alternative platforms and alternative business strategies? So um, tell us what, what did you go through when you were first deciding to start doing this on your own? And um, what about the fear that people have of branching out on their own? Like, obviously you, ha you had fear, right? Yeah, initially I, I'm, you know, I think I, the fact that I planned this, you know, since it's like November, I'd started putting my YouTube channel together. And I, I remember talking to some bigger YouTubers. I was seeing this coming. I knew this was coming down the pike. I was talking to comic book YouTubers who had over like a million subscribers. And I said, you guys use your channels to talk about comics. Why wouldn't you try to sell comics using your channels? And they went, it's just not what we want to do. And I said, you're crazy. You know, it's like, why are you reacting to comics when you could be making them? So uh, I just started building my channel and I, I just felt like, why isn't anyone doing this? Why is nobody using a YouTube channel as a platform to promote and market comic books? It just mm -hmm. seems like obvious. It seems like it's, it, you know, everybody should be doing this in the indie uh, comic sphere. So um, I, I felt pretty, I felt pretty okay about it. I built up the audience. It was just the question is, are they going to actually financially support our, our, our comics? And they right. did. I mean, you know, um, they continue to. Cyberfrog is, is uh, you know, a pretty big brand in indies right now. It is despised uh, by the left. 
Cyberfrog is hated by the left. They think they think it has something to do with Pepe the Frog. They think all of these Cyberfrog, I created him back in 1993 when I was a teenager. I just brought him back. But they think it's a Pepe the Frog all right thing. Uh, they hate all of this. They think it's just uh, Nazis funding Nazis. And you got to so just... You got They're just... more of like lizard people, like not into <laughs> frog. It's just like... I hate I, that frog. <laughs> I look. I mean, when you when you look at what they're saying about cyber frog, it is insane. I mean, it literally is a comic book about a frog. It has zero politics in it. It's it's just a fun action story. You know, in which you know it's 1998, and like the world is invaded by these alien, gigantic alien wasps that see human beings as cattle, and they're highly intelligent. Uh, they're evil. They turn human blood into honey to feed their young. They chew up their flesh and skin and make hives. They've papered over Philadelphia and all the big cities with like dried out, desiccated human flesh as hives. And there was one frog. <laughs> there was one alien who came from another planet who accidentally copied the DNA of a frog. So he looks like a robot frog hero uh, who um, who his job is to turn all this back. He failed in 1998. They took over the world. And now it's 2018. He wakes up. Humanity is hiding out in the Pine Barrens in New Jersey that he knows of what's left of, of the human race. Uh, and they have to wear red so they can't be seen by these aliens. Uh, and he has a, he's got a purpose. His purpose is to fix all of this somehow. And it's just a gigantic, impossible task. So this this story has nothing. It's not political. Uh, you could read into it if you want to. That's what good right. comics are for. But yes. it, it's it's not political. It's for everyone. And there there's no reason for anybody to be upset over it. And yet they are. And it has nothing to do with the story content. It has to do with the fact that somebody who was meant to commit suicide stood yes. up to them without fear, encouraged other people to do the same, created something on his own terms, found a method and a way that would uh, exclude them. You know, there's no there's nothing they can do to stop me uh, and uh, made millions of dollars. I've made four, almost five million dollars on Cyberfrog merchandise and comics to date. Look at this. Here's here's Cyberfrog's brother as a mug. Isn't this <laughs> <laughs> What's his brother's name? This is Salamandroid. Hold on a second. I got here's here's Cyberfrog. We made these little figures of Cyberfrog here. These are nice. free. Like if you buy a comic book, you get one of these for free. That's awesome. And then here's his little brother salamandroid here with this nice flexy tail who i mean this wouldn't have been possible if it weren't for comicscape the fact that you know i was able to get up from being canceled working yeah. a you know a drudgery style job at dc comics drawing green lantern i didn't own anything i drew i own these guys uh you know this look at this nice brotherly team That's here <laughs> uh, i love it these are mine. And, and, you know, because of this, other people are getting to know the characters and the story. We're making products, uh, you know, we're making merch like my hats and everything like that. And it's it's going great. And they're looking, uh, I think at this point, the comic book industry is not doing so well. Yeah. And uh, they're very angry about it. Very, very angry. I wish you they were won. meant to be canceled. Cheers. Cheers. <laughs> oh, wait, we have a mug. Look. Uh, I like that mug, too. I've been looking sorry. at that. Yeah, yeah. Well, oh, nice. That is gorgeous. Yeah, it's nice. We, you, if you travel with this in the airport, we found out you. They will pull you aside and look at yes, these. Yes, I, I hope so. <laughs> I hope they'll pull you aside still. We By still accident, we figured that out. But uh, so 
uh, let me ask you a question. So as a, I'm a pretty new Christian myself, I think for me, because I didn't realize social justice was functioning as a belief system. Hmm. I didn't think of it like that. It, it is an, it's an ideology. It's even, it's a cult-like ideology, as I said, but that's the way it functioned. It gave me, it gives people a, a, a way of discerning what's good and what's bad. It tells you what, and, and it tries to break it down in this really childish, childlike way of, you know, well, the whole world's divided into identity groups and the whole world is about a struggle for power between these identity groups and each identity group, you know, there's a good, good guy and a bad guy. There's the oppressor and the oppressed. And so it's like, you know, white people versus people of color, men versus women. And the whole world is like this. This is their, the meta narrative that you buy into. And once it is so poisonous, but once I got out of it, I'd say there's like this God-shaped hole that people try to fill with other things. And I tried to fill it with that belief system without realizing it was a belief system. I tried to fill it with alcohol for a while. Um, I think people try to fill it with all sorts of things and fame or uh, gambling or, you know, whatever that thing is that they, they're, that's consuming them. Um, But, but God found me like kicking and screaming. I never would have, pictured myself being the person I am today because I would have thought oh, it's so cheesy <laughs> like, but but I was at that dark place that's why I was asking about darkness for I was at a very dark place I was like reckoning with uh I was going through a divorce I was all figuring out what's important to me what's happening to this everything I had believed in about the left and my identity it was my identity I had spent my career trying to push social justice and comedy and and entertainment and on television. And, and I just, I, I started to see everything I thought I knew to be true is wrong. And that's when God found me. Mm -hmm. And, um, I've started to, in the past few years, see things in different ways. And and one of the things you said that really struck with me, and I, I keep noticing this, do you see, you said, you think comics gate happened or, or you got, you got uh, pushed out of DC for a reason. Yeah. Do you start to see that now that that sort of sometimes does that have has that happened to you more than once where something that's a trial or a struggle on the other side of it? Once you get to the other side, you're like, I get it now. Yep. Why that was necessary. Yeah. So many times. I mean, it's just like my divorce, my divorce from uh, my first wife was horrendous and it just felt like a black hole. And I, you know, that if I'd ever had dark thoughts, the kind that we were describing, it was during that period. I just couldn't imagine 15 years of marriage. What am I going to do now? That is my identity. My family's everything. All these thoughts that men have, I think, uh, when they're when they're getting divorced. And then, yeah, you you, and I just decided I was going to survive and I was going to, you know, make myself the best version of me I could possibly be. And that's when uh, Andrea, who I, you know, hadn't spoken to in ages. She had just gotten, she let me know she got divorced too. But I mean, I met her when I was 18 and she was 16 and I created cyber frog in front of her. She was there, wow. you know, when I was a teenager. <laughs> so she called me up on new year's and she's, I'm like, you know, she's like, hey, I just want to check in on you. How are you doing? And I'm like, I, I think better. I was like, you know, I never asked you this, you know, before, but I know you're in Philadelphia. I know you're in, in New Jersey, but it's like, uh, and I'm in North Carolina. But if I came up there, could I take you to dinner? Yeah, you know, it's like my first date. You know what I mean? And <laughs> I, I didn't know how to date. I forgot how to date. And she said, yes, I've been waiting for like 
decades now uh, for you to ask me that. And <laughs> like my life got so much better with her in it. You don't know what love is. You don't, first of all, you don't know what a bad relationship is until you're out of it and in a good one. And then you recognize what a bad marriage is and what a, a bad relationship is. Um, and we tried, you know, I just said, look, we're, we're getting old. <laughs> I want to have a baby with you. We got to try to have a baby. And we lost our first one. And it was mm -hmm. devastating. You know, people don't understand what it's what it means to lose a baby until you've lost a baby. It's people talk about it kind of like, yeah, we lost a few. Losing a baby's horrific. Um, yeah. And uh, again, just a nightmare. But we tried again anyway, and we got Ava. So, um, you know, it's all of these things that, you know, you you go. I, I, I feel like I go through hell and I'm tested and I'm knocked down to my knees. Uh, so that um, I can appreciate what I'm about to be given. Yes. And that's what happened with Comicsgate. Like I was so prideful. I was safe at DC Comics. People who work in the mainstream of comics think they're better than the fans. Like they, we were, we are fans. We were just chosen out of the audience of fandom uh, to be able to, to tell a few stories about these characters we love. This ego that goes along with that is unearned. And, and certainly um, it's bad. It's, it's something yeah. that, should be knocked out of you. And it was, uh, I don't think it was what SJW is meant to do uh, to me, but it certainly is what happened because yeah. part of Comicsgate is respecting the customers. Re not, stop calling them fans. They are your customers. They're people who are buying a product and they deserve respect. When you call somebody a fan, that's short for fanatic. You can treat fanatics however you want. I uh, hate that word. Myself. It's awful. I, yeah. Every now and then I go, my fans, and I go, <clears throat> my customers, you know, my subscribers, you know, my supporters, you know, those people. That's a whole other layer of respect that you have to offer people who are giving you money for your art. So um, I had that beaten into me. And I, you know, Comicsgate has, um, I don't know how we would have retired without Comicsgate. Like, ever, there's no money in mainstream. You work really, really hard. Uh, you are given a tiny fraction of the money that you generated for an enormous corporation. And then eventually they decide they can't use you anymore anyway, and you become obsolete. And then you're doing GoFundMes for your medical bills. This is a, a tragic but common story in comics. We were kicked out at just the right time. Thank you, SJWs. Thank you. And now I have become your worst enemy. Now I have become, they call me dangerous, extremely dangerous. Yeah. I love that. Uh, but I mean that, you know, it's like for me, um, I know what I'm doing is right. I know I feel God on my shoulder. I feel angels on my shoulder when I'm creating now. I feel divinely inspired in everything that I'm doing. I'm not perfect. I'm still full of pride and arrogance and all of those mm -hmm. things. I, I recognize that about myself, but I know I'm doing the right thing and other people are being helped by what I'm doing as well. Yeah. Uh, so, um, yeah. Are you, more, are you just more confident not egotistical but confident in who you yeah. are yeah it's a yeah, different much right? more. yeah I'm, I'm i used to be a wallflower it, it's hard to imagine like i mean i'm a i'm a big mouth now you know i'm a, a broadcaster <laughs> yes. you know i, I don't like public be, speaking ethan you're so good at it it's you know what youtube is really good at that youtube is yeah. great at teaching people to come out of their shell and I, you know, I recommend it. I think it's a, it's, it's good. People want to, television is dead. Scripted stuff is dead. Reality TV was the first step towards what YouTube is. People really want to interact with each other. They want to watch 
real people uh, and they want to get to know real people, even real people that they'll never meet in person. Uh, but it teaches you to be entertaining. It teaches you to express yourself. It teaches you to teaches you a, a kind of brand of self-confidence uh, that I think I don't think most people get. Not not nerds like me. Uh, I don't think, uh, you know, we develop that otherwise. Uh, so. Well, I've really enjoyed getting to speak with you today. And oh, that's nice. Me too. I think I think you'll be I think you're going to be it's an inspiration for our audience. Um, one of the things we say is that because because a lot of our show is about pushing back against bad ideology, or as my co-host Carter says, you know, this is a cultural war. It's not a political war. And we're doing our part to try and change culture a little bit. But you can't be you can't be doing that. That can't be all you're doing is pushing is fighting a culture war because you're it's draining. And then and then you risk becoming just like the social justice people you're fighting, because that's mm -hmm. all they do is they're animated by animus by fighting so there has to be other things you're creating and that you're you're whether it's you know having a family or working a comic book having or a making a garden thing to say when people go how do i counter the culture it's like have a family how do what do you That's think about that you know have a family and raise your kids the right way would be just as good as if not better than starting a comic book company and doing comics that are not social justice oriented um, there, you know, anybody can do this. Anybody can change what the way uh, the culture is going. And we all have to. It doesn't involve necessarily fighting on the Internet. Yes. Um, but we, we do have to decide ultimately what the culture war is about is our, chil our, our children and what they're being raised on, you know, what they're going to uh, be taught, how they're going to see themselves and the world around them. And it is on us. We're the adults. We're the parents now. I don't feel like it. I still feel like I'm 14 years old inside. Because well, look know. what you do for a living. Yeah, I need to stay <laughs> that way. I need to stay 14 inside. I don't yeah. want to become, you know, 46, you know, yeah. in, in my heart. Um, but uh, yeah, like um, it's on us to do that. And and uh, everybody, everybody has a role in it. I love your ideas. I didn't know anything about the knitting community. Please let me know. My mom. Oh, knits. my goodness. You know what? <laughs> We're I would love to talk to you again about with a knitting thing. I'll, I'll get back in touch with you. We're okay. doing a knitting project, but I want to have some voices from other communities in, in this project that we're doing. How so cool. that would be fun. <laughs> anyway, thank you so much, Ethan. Remind people, we're going to put links to where you can find Ethan's comics and figurines below. So check that out in the description below. But just remind people on camera where they can find you. So uh, I my company is called All Caps Comics, and uh, we we fund our comic books and our toys and things on Indiegogo. If you look up my name, Ethan Van Skyver, or if you look up Cyberfrog and Indiegogo, you're going to find my campaigns. Uh, we also sell things on our eBay store, and my wife runs the eBay store. So you order a hat, you're getting a hat in two days. It's going to be in your hands. We're really, really quick about customer um, service. Uh, and we want our, our fans to be recurring, our fans, we want our customers to be yeah. recurring customers uh, and to come back and uh, enjoy the stuff that we sent. Uh, right now we've got, we're trying to make action figures, posable action figures. We've done these, these are a big success, these PVC statues, but they don't pose. So we'd like to make articulated action figures. And I, I gave you the link, hopefully maybe people yeah. will, will purchase one of those in advance and you know, that'll be great. And you guys can find that below. Thank you so much, Ethan, for your time, for your insight, for the laughs. Thank you. It was fun. 
Thanks for watching. If you're new to the channel, we have a deep content library that includes interviews with everyone from Mike Cernovich to Megan Murphy, so go check it out. If you'd like to see more, please consider supporting the show by visiting unsafespace.com donate. You can find us on all the major social media platforms. Well, mostly. And you can find a community of like-minded individuals on our Unsafe Space chat on Telegram. See you there. Warning. This is an unsafe space. Dangerous ideas have been detected. The content of this production has not been authorized by the Cathedral. Pay no attention to its thinky talk. The following co-conspirators have been unpersoned and will be recycled as part of our sustainability program. Here's a fun fact, there is literally no downside to unreserved obedience. We are not violent. But I would like to remind you that we have nukes and F-15s. If you think about it, no one should be allowed to express opinions. But don't. Think about it, I mean. That's not your job. Thinking has been scientifically proven to be less efficient than compliance. Science, scientific, and scientifically are registered trademarks of the World Economic Forum. Unauthorized use is prohibited. Computer voice Curtis, never mind, that last line is fake news. Please disregard it and return to your safe space immediately. There will be cake.